writings to Timothy, he said, I urge you to pray first of all for leaders and rulers and those in authority so that we can live peaceful lives, you know, and, and also that all will come into repentance. So it's God's will that none perish. But if we don't pray, then it's like the devil can pretty much try to get away with whatever he can get away with because the people of God aren't praying. Does that make sense? So I think people have some kind of an idea that um, things will just work out even though we don't pray. Well, Jesus isn't here yet. When he's here physically, that would be the case. But right now we're in a war and we need to be praying. And passive people lose wars. So God's people are not called to be passive, but to put on the armor of God and take a stand and pray. All right, we're ready with everything? Good to go? All right, I'm going to pray. We can go ahead. Listen, y'all agree with me tonight in prayer. I hope you guys love God's word. So Lord, we ask you tonight, if we could shut that door too. Lord, we ask you tonight as we pray and we come before you, we're believing you for this word of the Lord. We ask you tonight that you would bless this time that you would come upon me and anoint me and speak through me your words of life we think about the parable of the seed and the sower jesus said the word of the lord is the seed and lord we ask you tonight that this seed will go out it'll be living seed to truth that's sown into good good fertile soil even now that your holy spirit is preparing hearts and minds those that are going to be hearing this that the holy spirit will move upon them even now and give us all good soil of hearts and minds and this is going to land where it needs to. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit water that seed and let it take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until the Lord comes. And Lord, we ask you that the winds of your spirit are going to carry this everywhere it needs to go. Through the internet, it's going to get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to do. Let your mighty angels watch over your word to empower it and make sure that it's going to be protected. You know, Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we agree together tonight in the name of Jesus. We collectively agree that we bind up anything of the devil in the name of Jesus that would try to hinder this word from getting where it needs to go and doing what it needs to do. We bind you now. Back off in Jesus' name. Lord, let this be empowered. Lord, I pray there'll be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, that there'll be a purifying of your bride, that it'll be like a bright, shining light that's going to go into dark places and dispel darkness and bring truth and revelation knowledge. Lord, let this be powerful and effective. And we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we commit it unto you, and we pray together, and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've been dealing with a series called The Holy Place. And this is to prepare us because we're going to be going deeper into the glory of the Lord. And so I believe that this is extremely important. So I want you to give me your best ear and full attention and really get everything out of this that you can. Um, this is dealing with two things, types and shadows and patterns and how it's fulfilled now in Christ. And so let me just read a few scriptures. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says that the law, since it was only a shadow of good things to come and not the form some of you guys know you can see up here if the lights were permitting you could look and you could see my shadow but the shadow you wouldn't be able to grab hold of it it's not the form it's just a shadow and it's got my height and, and it you know it, it looks like me but it's not really me and that's the way the old testament we call it the old testament the previous covenant that's it was written so that everything there was pointing to christ it was leading up to him and that's what it's saying here the the law was just a shadow of what was to come and it says the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year could not make people perfect that drew near but jesus his blood can it purifies us okay and so exodus 25 verse 8 here's another scripture and this has to do with patterns it said, let them construct a sanctuary for me. Now, this is talking about the tabernacle of Moses, that I might dwell among them. Don't you think about this for a moment. God initiated this. God said, let them build me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. I believe it is God's heart to dwell among his people. But things have got to be right. There can't be sin in the camp. There can't be a lot of things that aren't right. Because the Lord's not going to tabernacle his glory there in that. But if things are right, 
the Lord wants his glory to be among his people. So let me just lay a little bit of groundwork and then I'm going to get to the three things I want to close out talking about, the blood, the water, the anointing, how God consecrates his people. But let me give you a few things. Um, number one, this is really important. When God began to fulfill everything, everything pointed up to Jesus Christ. When Jesus lived and walked on the earth and, and he was ministering, everything up to that point pointed to that. And Jesus said this, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. And so there's a point of view in a lot of places that God took, when Jesus came, it's like God took the Old Testament and just ripped it out and wadded up and threw it in the trash. And then it's like now, you know, we have something completely, totally different. But that's not biblical. That's not the way to look at it. Jesus said, I've come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so that's a, that's a very important point I'm making there because you have to understand what was written before and to really understand why Jesus came and how he fulfills it, okay? So the early church for about 300 years were still very Hebrew, very, well, we would say maybe Jewish or whatever. The early church was. They, they still had a Sabbath day. They still had the feast. And, and there was a lot to it that was very Hebrew. And they understood that Jesus fulfilled it. But let me just show you something. I'm going somewhere with this, so follow me. In the days of Constantine, Constantine comes to power and begins to profess a, you know, a Christian faith. And when he does this, he makes a deliberate attempt. I'm really making this as short as I can. He makes a deliberate attempt to begin to do away with anything that was Hebrew. And so he began to cut away the feast days and all that. And he wanted to come in and take Christianity. It now was legalized. See, this was important. Between the time Paul died under Nero all the way to the Diocletian, there was ten emperors. And the book of Revelation predicted that there would be persecution for those 10 days. It was 10 emperors that violently persecuted Christianity. And while they were doing that, we all know the stories because we've, we've even heard about it in secular school talking about how Christians were burned alive at the stake and were, were killed in the Colosseum and all that. But Satan was doing everything he could to stamp out Christianity. But the more that he persecuted Christianity, the more that it seemed to thrive. And so Satan, after he got done with Diocletian, he realizes, I'm going to have to do something different. And so with Constantine, he did something different in the respect that now he legalizes Christianity, removes the persecution, but he begins to bring a lot of worldliness and perversion into Christianity. And that was the attack, was now to pervert Christianity. And so one of the ways that was going to have to happen was he was going to have to take like a sword and begin to cut away the Hebrew roots. He was going to have to get Christianity to now become more paganized and more worldly. Does this make sense? All right. And so in that, let me give you a few things. The emphasis, here's, I'm going to give you a few things that were lost. Whenever it was more of a Hebrew roots, the emphasis was more on the home. You know, at that time, people would have studied the word at home. Their home would have been a place of worship, a place of prayer. And it was a family structure, and it was family-based. As a matter of fact, up to that point, churches met in homes. And so it was a very home-based thing, very family-based. But once Constantine came to power and began to sever those Hebrew roots, one of the things he did was he began to take it out of the home and create fancy buildings and make it about the building. And so you would leave your home and go to the building and pretty soon people stopped really worshiping and praying and studying the word in their home and having that family devotion time, family worship. And they got away from that and they just began to look to, well, I'll go to a building and I'll, I'll let them do that for me. And something fundamentally was lost. God never intended for the family to forsake the altar at home. Another thing that changed was what I've been talking about here, the priesthood of the believer. That, you know, God has called all of us in here in New Testament Christianity that we're all priests unto God. 
You remember in the Old Testament time, even though there was a priesthood, the descendants of Aaron and the Levites that ministered at the temple, God still had all of Israel make prayer shawls and they would wear a tunic that had those corners called the tzitzit, the tassels on them. And the message there was that even though I may have a priesthood, I still want all my people to be priests unto God in that respect. Does that make sense? And so in the New Testament time, God wants all of us to be a priest unto him. But here's what happened. When the Hebrew roots were severed, now Constantine begins to put people into power and the clergy began to make it where you could not read the Bible on your own. They had to read it to you. You were not allowed to take communion at home. It had to be done by clergy at church. You were not allowed to really worship and pray and have some kind of a personal relationship with your family at home. It needed to be done at church. See, this is what I'm sharing with you tonight is very fundamental. This was a fundamental shift in the wrong direction. And God wants us now as Christians, that's one of the things I've been sharing about in this is he's wanting us as Christians to all be priests unto him. And I'm trying to free people up from that religious spirit and that religious mentality that everything has to be at church. It has to be administered by clergy or it's not God. That's not biblical. Another thing that came in with Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, was this. The deception that spirituality is synonymous with boredom. Let's just be truthful. So here's, here's the mindset. It's still in our culture to this day that people think anything fun or good must be of the devil. They even call chocolate cake devil's food. Think about what I'm saying. I'm being serious. And so there was a fundamental shift here when Roman Catholicism came in that the, the family structure and the feasts that were celebrated and the fun that people were having, the fun at home, how the things of God were, were celebrated, that was lost. And now it became about this, that if you could somehow, there was things like this, a vow of poverty. Um, if you could, you know, make yourself suffer, the more that you suffered and the more you beat yourself down and the more bored you were like a monk, <laughs> the more spiritual you were that was a major paradigm shift in the wrong direction pretty soon prayer and the move of the Holy Spirit the gifts of the Holy Spirit the power of God what the early church was walking in was fading away completely the people of God disconnected from any type of a Hebrew calendar and began to get on a Gregorian calendar, which we're still on today. Things like relics, idols, and strange doctrines begin to creep in. And in that replacement theology, which is another sermon for another time. But are you seeing a fundamental shift here? The things of God are actually fun. And people that come to River of Life enjoy themselves here. Because there's a freedom in the presence of God. But somehow the devil has tried to shift all of this away from the home. I'm doing my best during this series to try to help people get it back in your home again. That God wants you taking the Lord's Supper in your home. He wants your home to be a place of worship and prayer in the presence of God. He wants a family altar again. So a couple things also. This is also a fundamental shift. Two things I would mention. Number one, I open with the scripture how the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. For you to understand what was to come, you have to understand the shadow. See, a lot of people, it doesn't even make sense. Let me give you an example. If you were to go up to somebody that had no idea, they had never read the Bible, have no idea whatsoever about the Old Testament and the offerings, the sacrifices at the temple, and you were to say Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain they don't know what that means they have to go back and understand that lambs were slain for the sin 
So you have to understand the Old Testament to see how it was fulfilled. And it brings a depth to it when you do. Everything that was there, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all the, the furniture in the tabernacle, everything pointed to Christ. It was a shadow of things to come, which I've already explained. I can't go back over. But also, I believe it was a pattern. See, a lot of times when people come to church, in a lot of places, there's no biblical, let me say it this way, there's no real biblical pattern to anything. People just come together and they're simply just doing what they feel like they need to do. But as I talked about previously in this sermon series, God did lay out a pattern in the tabernacle where we take time to come through the blood. Remember this? And then you go through into the glory, you end up in the glory. But there's a pattern. And so some of the things, what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual. Just like I talked about the priestly garments, what Aaron and the priesthood had in the natural, we now have actual priestly garments, but they're spiritual. And a lot of the, the strange doctrines would be done away with if people understood these things. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The priestly garments of Aaron, remember it was those white garments. What they speak of righteousness, salvation. Then it was the blue garment. The garment had the bells and pomegranates. It speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the clothing of power. And then there was the gold garments, which speaks of the glory. See, I've known people that accepted Christ as their Savior, but they never had anything more. And I've also known people that not only have the white garments, but they have the blue. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They can speak in tongues, and there is some power there, but they don't have the glory of God in their midst. See, once you understand the pattern and you understand what was laid out, everything else in the New Testament starts making sense, and it'll do away with a lot of the strange doctrines that are out there because you understand the pattern. See, what God started in Genesis and ended in Revelation, it all flows, it all fits. But if you're just going to take one little portion and try to figure out the whole thing out of that little portion, you're going to struggle. There's going to be a lot of holes in your doctrine. What Israel had in the natural, they had the tabernacle. Now we are the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. What Israel, they fought natural battles. We fight spiritual battles. There was a circumcision of the flesh. Now we have a circumcision of the heart. Everything that was in the natural is fulfilled in Christ in the spiritual. Also the patterns. Not just a tabernacle pattern in the glory. But think about this. The communion table. It comes out of Passover. So when you understand Passover, you understand more deeply what the communion table really is. And the fullness. Israel had an Aaronic priesthood. But now we have Christ as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But you have to understand that priesthood to see how it was fulfilled. And of course, there's a lot of different examples. I'll get into this next week. But Sinai, when God came down to Mount Sinai, it speaks of the rapture of the remnant bride. But that'll be next week's sermon. So I want to I talk about three things before I get off this. How God consecrated the priests. So we talked about this some already. In Exodus 29, when God had Moses consecrate the priesthood of Aaron. They had to have blood applied. They had to be cleansed by the blood of the animal that was sacrificed. Number two, they had to be water immersed. And number three, they had to be anointed with oil. There were three things. All three of them were different and distinct. But all three of them consecrated Aaron and his sons as priests. Now that's the pattern. That's the Old Testament pattern. And we have the reality of that in Christ. But I believe that God wants to consecrate us as priests unto him. Remember last week, Peter says, we are all priests unto God. So let me read this to you in 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but by water and the blood. It is also the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are these three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, 
And these three are in agreement. So there we have the fulfillment. So you have the pattern under Aaron. Now you have the fulfillment in the New Testament. And I've read other scriptures in Hebrews about how we're cleansed by the blood. The power of the washing. Remember Hebrews that we're, our conscience is sprinkled with blood, but our bodies washed with pure water. As we go through this, I've taught enough on the communion table. I think you guys know the power of the communion table. So I'm just going to say something briefly and then move off that. But when we take communion together, you have to understand how powerful this is. Something that represents the body and blood of Jesus is going into our body and blood. Something that represents him is literally going into our temple. We are the tabernacle of the spirit. It's going into us. There's something about that that brings a union with Christ. There is something about that that brings a deep consecration unto God, which is what we're going to do here later as we pray and take communion. Many people have been healed and many people delivered at the communion table because they remember what Jesus did for them, that by his stripes they're healed, they're chewing on that bread, they're remembering the stripes on his back. As they drink of that cup, they're remembering that it is his blood that delivers them from the demonic. I've seen many times down through the years where people have had really powerful encounters with God. And I remember um, that someone here tonight was telling me when they first came, you know, that, that they'd come and we were taking communion. And he said it was just, as we were taking the Lord's Supper, he said it was just like this very holy presence of God settled over him. And he was just kind of in awe of what he was experiencing. See, the communion table is a, is a priestly meal. Jesus walked the earth as a prophet during those three and a half years, but toward the end of his ministry, he was moving more and more into his priestly role. Now, as he was, for those three and a half years, he's walking in sandals, he's going around prophesying, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's hit like an Elijah, he's healing the sick, raising the dead, you know what I'm saying? It's a prophetic ministry. But now toward the end of his ministry, he knows that his time is short. And now he's going to become very priestly because he's going to become the lamb that's slain. But at the same time, he's also the priest that's overseeing his own sacrifice, so to speak. And in that context, on the night he was betrayed, he knew he was going to be hung on the cross the next morning. On the night he was betrayed... He had a Passover meal with his disciples and he gives them this priestly meal. He says, this represents now my body. This represents my blood. Do this in remembrance of me till I come. But see, a lot of people miss the depth of how powerful the communion table is. I did a series called Communion Hebrew Roots that we went really deep into that. But let me just tell you, it is a table in the presence of our enemies where your heads are anointed with fresh oil and your cups overflow. David's mighty men ate of the consecrated bread to give them strength for battle. I believe it gives us strength. And you know, Jesus ripped the veil at the cross when he died. The veil in the temple ripped. But I'm telling you that every one of us, when we begin to enter into prayer or we come to God's house, we all have to get past our own personal veil. You know what that veil is? Your flesh. And one of the main ways you can get past your own veil, and I believe this, is by taking time to get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. Reverence the blood. And as you take communion, that's one of the greatest ways to apply the blood. Think about it. The veil of your flesh, the body and blood of the Lord's coming into that, and you're going to get past that veil pretty quickly. All right, that's, I can't dwell too much on the communion table. I could go on and on. I love communion table. I really do. It's very powerful. Changed my life. Let me say one more thing. There was a, there was a man that, um, kind of a funny story. He was telling Rodney Howard Brown, he said, you know, he was so elderly now that so many of his friends had passed away. And here he is still, you know, healthy and strong. And, and he said, man, I, I'm so old now. And all my friends have gone on to be with the Lord. He said, is the Lord upset with me? Why am I still here? You know, and, and Brother Rodney said, man, he said, you take communion every day. He said, it's going to be hard for you to die, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you 
You know, Smith Wigglesworth took communion every day. And people said about Smith when he would pray, the glory of God would come in. And, and it, it kind of scared people because God's presence was so strong. And I remember there was a precious lady. I was preaching along these lines. Her name was Fran. And she was elderly. She was in her 90s. But she drove herself to church that night. She, had, she was fine. She was in good health. She's walking around, still being a prayer warrior, still being used of God. And after I preached along these lines, she came up to me. I was at a different church where she goes. And, and she said, Brother Scott, I want to tell you. She said, I believe what you preach on tonight is why I'm still active. Because I take communion every day and I've been doing it for years. She said, I'm still healthy and able to get around. And she said, I believe it's the communion table. All right. So there's a deep consecration unto God. The blood is applied. Remember, how did God consecrate Aaron and them? Number one, the blood. There had to be the blood applied. As we take the Lord's Supper, there's the blood applied to our lives. A deep consecration. Number two, the power of water immersion. 1 Corinthians 10 without recapping too much on this, but the Bible says that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the cloud and the sea. And so as they went through that Red Sea, God considered that a water baptism. God baptized the nation. And there is a power in water baptism. And it kind of grieves me because I feel like a lot of times people miss this. It's just a religious ritual. How many knows whenever you get past really understanding what you're doing and doing it with faith, when you get past that and it's just a little ritual, a tradition of men, you know, it loses its power. And that's exactly what's happened. There's a lot of people come and they take communion. And you know what? It's just a religious ritual. And there's no power in it. And the same thing with water immersion, I believe that that's why it's so powerless in many places. But I remember when I would watch it, uh, like the Brownsville Revival and other moves of God, I've seen where people were baptized and, and they would literally be out in the spirit and people have to pick them up, carry them out because they were overcome with the presence of God. But they were what? They were being baptized in the water and the cloud of God's presence. So let me just talk briefly about the power of water baptism. Remember this, when Jesus died on the cross, blood and water came out of his side. When you look at the tabernacle in the outer court, you see blood sacrifice and you see the water labor. I believe that when somebody first accepts Christ as their savior, that it is good to have somebody explain things to them and help them understand what they're doing and to help water immerse them. And there's kind of that initial baptism, if you will. But let me talk to you what water immersion, because my wife and I having a deliverance ministry of sorts, and we've prayed for people down through the years, and we've seen many, many people that have been set free. And I mean to tell you that the power of the communion table, the power of water immersion, and the power of anointing people with oil and praying over them, which I'm going to get to, it has set them free. We've had testimonies of people healed of incurable diseases, delivered of all kinds of tormenting things, whenever they got things right with God and they were consecrated as a priest unto God. Does that make sense tonight? All right. So water baptism, we know it does not save you in the respect that you have to have it to go to heaven. But I do believe that it is extremely powerful. And I believe that people will never really come into the fullness of everything that they could in their Christian walk if they're never going to get baptized. I believe that they're hindered. That's my opinion. But I want you to think about it. As Moses took the children of Israel through that baptism, what happened? That water closed behind them. And what's the first thing you think of? They were separated from their Egypt. So they're separated from their past. I believe the power of water baptism helps people to get separated from their sinful past. Number one. Number two, all of those chariots and horsemen that were chasing after them drowned in the sea. And so all of those enemies that were trying to chase them into their future were killed. I believe that the power of water immersion helps to destroy your enemies. 
things that want to follow you into your Christian walk and torment your life and hinder you. It will destroy that and separate that from you. I believe that there is a deep consecration unto God. Now this goes back to a fundamental shift. As I talked about how Constantine came to power, Roman Catholicism. Here's another thing. In the Hebrew culture, water immersion was so common. It was very common. Multiple times through the year, people self-immersed. It was extremely common. Read the Bible, trust me. But when Constantine comes to power and they sever that, now it is you have to go to church and it had to do with converting to Roman Catholicism. And it lost its power and what God intended it to really be. There's a death and a burial of the old man. Romans 6, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You know, in the Bible, there wasn't this long wait. Once people accepted the Lord, there was a pretty quick baptism that would take place. I mean, you guys notice that when you read the scriptures. It wasn't something like, well, five years later, we'll talk about it. You know, it was like right then. And we saw that also with the eunuch that got saved under Philip's ministry. But I believe the power of water baptism, beyond what typical Christianity knows, and I, I'm going to give you some stories here in a minute, but my wife and I have seen with our own eyes, we have seen people that have been healed when they were water baptized. Testimonies of them being healed of things. They told me afterward, I had this problem, it's gone. They were healed. We've also seen people that were delivered of things, literally delivered. You know, the interesting thing too, this is a little deep and kind of a side topic, but even in the Hebrew language, there's uh, the 13th letter of the alphabet, the name. It has choppy waters is the symbol. And the, the numeric value is 40, which means testing. And they connect that with an immersion because in Hebrew it's called a mikveh, immersion in water. But it's like the choppy waters. It's like the rebellion. Number 13 speaks of rebellion. It's like that rebellion that people have walked in. Things that they've struggled with, it's like a death of that and a resurrection into a new life. Breaking off the old, coming into the new. And I think everybody here can agree with me that breaking off of something old and coming into something new is not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. God is taking us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And down through my life, God has had to do a deep work down through the years. All right. John said the blood, the water, the spirit testify. I believe when people begin to deeply consecrate their lives at the communion table, waters of immersion, the anointing with oil, it will help enrich your prayer life and it will bring an added protection. It's obviously a spiritual cleansing. So what was Jesus doing at Passover when he washed the disciples' feet? There was more to this than what a lot of people realize. When people come, when they came to Jerusalem at Passover, all around the temple there were these pools of water, and they're still there to this day. They're called mikveh pools. And people would go to the temple, and part of getting themselves ready for the feast time was that they would have a time of self-immersion, and they would go into that pool, and they would immerse themselves to be cleansed spiritually and be ready for what God had for them. And so as literally millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people were descending into Jerusalem at Passover, all of them were going down around the temple and bringing their lamb, and they were immersing in water. Now it's interesting because let me read it, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper... Remember, the devil had, uh, having already put into Judas's heart to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to him, got up from the supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. He poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel, which he girded himself. And we know that Peter 
He said, why do you do this? Why do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, um, what I do, you do not understand right now, but you'll understand later. And Peter said, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash them, you'll have no part of me. So Simon says, hey, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands, my head, you know. And Jesus, Jesus said, it's who has already bathed only needs to wash his feet. Let me tell you what was really going on here that a lot of people in our Western culture don't understand. When the disciples had gone into Jerusalem for Passover, they had already been to the temple and they had already self-immersed. This is what he was referencing. You've already had a bath. But see, for the priest of, to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, they had to not only self-immerse, but they had to wash their hands and feet. And before the Passover meal, remember as we reenacted all this here, people's hands are washed. So Jesus was simply finishing that. He was washing their feet. Is this making sense tonight? Jesus was consecrating them because he knew that they were about to experience a holy of holies experience. They had already self-immersed. Now their hands and feet were going to be washed as priests because it was not going to be that much longer until the day of Pentecost when the presence of God would explode in that room where they were at. And they were going to have a Holy of Holies encounter. Jesus was getting them ready by giving them the communion meal where the blood was being applied to their life and washing them with water as priests. And when on the day of, of I'm sorry, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, they were anointed. You seeing the blood, the water, the anointing. And the same thing again at, pa at uh, Pentecost, 40 or 50 days later, when Peter got up and preached, they had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he's preaching, and people are there, they're bringing their offerings to the temple. They're going to the temple to immerse in water. And Peter tells them he's preaching Christ. Thousands believe, and then Peter says, okay, now go immerse, but do it in the name of Jesus. Because Peter understood all of this was being fulfilled now in Christ. And what was interesting was if you study the Old Testament, the tabernacle, how many of you guys are familiar at least enough to know what I'm talking about? The cloud by day, the fire by night, okay? The tabernacle had like a pillar of fire over the Holy of Holies. And now on the day of Pentecost, the early church, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire as the Holy Spirit came in with a rushing mighty wind. But they saw little tongues of fire on the heads of each person and what that was saying was now you are like little temples or little tabernacles of the spirit of god that there's like a holy of holies there's a pillar of fire over your head so this is being now fulfilled in christ so let me give you a couple stories here sometimes i've seen people delivered so powerfully in the waters of baptism you remember in the old testament the passover dealt with the unseen enemy you remember the death angel stalked through the night the blood of the lamb dealt with an unseen enemy but the water at the red sea the water baptism dealt with enemies that were seen there was a lady one time regarding deliverance her her family was deeply involved in buddhism and when she accepted christ as her savior her mother began to pray but she was praying like to buddha and stuff and was praying that she would get back right in her mind you know back to buddhism and her mother didn't realize it but her mother was actually cursing her and so whenever people had come and they had prayed over this lady and prayed over this lady but she could not get delivered and get a breakthrough no matter what it was just so stubborn and i remember this minister said that they had a baptismal service and they took this lady and they believed God and as they water baptized her, they said the power of that thing broke off her. It was like a demonic thing lifted off her. She was set completely free today or free that day at the water immersion. Isn't that awesome? Deliverance. And I believe some things are dealt with at the communion table. Some things are dealt with in the waters of immersion and other things are dealt with when you anoint with oil and pray over people, which I'm about to get to, get to that. There's also been many healings that take place in water immersion. 
Remember in John, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, put it on the guy's eyes, and what did he say? Go wash with water. When he washed, his eyes were healed. Remember Naaman, when Naaman was a leper and he came to Elisha, Elisha said, go dip in the water, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And when he did, he was healed. Why did God have him dip in water? He could have just been healed. Also, I remember a story. You guys remember Basil Howard Brown ministered here a few years back. He was telling this story. He said that there was a, a service they had where they set up a big baptismal. And all these people were coming in from the church to be baptized. And they just wanted to consecrate their life unto God. And there was a man there that had such a weak heart. He had had multiple heart attacks that the blood could not flow through his whole body. So his legs were turning black because there was no circulation. And he sat back there and people were coming up and, and Basil and them would pray and they, they would you know, be water immersed. And it was powerful. And this man came down to get water baptized and you know he's just going up there really slow and people are kind of helping him. He gets in the water. Basil then pray for him. They immerse him in water. He goes back and sits down. And while he was sitting there, he starts having more and more feeling in his legs. He starts feeling stronger. He starts breathing better. So he pulls up his pants legs and his, his legs are starting to turn gradually a normal color. God completely healed that man's heart. It makes me think of the pool of Bethesda. Remember the angel would stir the water and people would get in and they were healed. Also, we've seen many times people have been healed like an inner healing, a wounded soul, a broken heart, psychological wounds, whatever. That when they've been water immersed, it broke the power of something. It like brought healing. Think about in the natural, when somebody is, is cut open, what's one of the first things you're going to do is wash that thing out with water and cleanse it, see? And also, just a couple more things. It brings an added protection. Now, a lot of people have read the scripture. Jesus said in Mark, he said, those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Well, people have read that on a very surface level and said, well, you've got to be water baptized to go to heaven. That's not really true. Because remember, the thief on the cross. Okay. All right. But water baptism is powerful. And here, here's what it's saying. The word there for saved is the word sozo. If you can remember this, it's important. The word sozo in Greek means save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, prosper, make to do well. That's everything Jesus paid for on the cross. All of it is referenced in that Greek word sozo. And what Jesus was saying there was those that believe and are baptized will be able to come into that sozoed life. See, I believe when people neglect immersion that they kind of limp along in their Christian walk, never really coming into the fullness of what's available to them. John Kilpatrick said during the Brownsville revival, all these people were getting saved and getting right with God by the hundreds of thousands. And they had to have water baptism services. And he said that the people that took the time to really get water immersed, he saw that there was a marked difference in their life, that they were more stable in their Christian walk. Dick Rubin said in his opinion that it's an awesome time to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit after their water immersed remember the bible says they were baptized in the cloud and the sea the cloud is the reference to the holy spirit's presence i don't believe that it's a once in a lifetime thing i never have i believe that there may be that initial baptism when somebody accepts christ but i believe it's something that's available throughout your life and what we've done here in river of life is we'll have times twice a year where we spend some time as a church praying and fasting and just telling people, make sure you forgive everybody. Make sure you repent of any sin. Deal with what you need to. And when we come together, we're going to have, we're going to do it tonight. We'll have a deep consecration service. We take the Lord's Supper. What are we doing? We're applying the blood to our lives deeply. We'll have a time where my wife and I anoint people with oil. And I'm about to give you a few things and close with that. But we anoint with oil. We pray over people. And then we have water immersion. And I've heard people tell me over and over after these after the fast and after we deeply consecrate our lives 
I've heard this over and over. People said, I feel so different. I feel so clean. I feel something has changed in my life. But it's the same pattern that God has all through Scripture. And as I've referenced throughout this, 1 Peter 2.9, we are all priests unto God. I have to skip over some of these notes, but Christ being baptized was a passing of the priesthood from John, a descendant of Aaron, to Christ, our great high priest. But even today in Jewish culture, a bride, when she's about to get married, many times there'll be a mikveh, an immersion in water, to leave the old and come into this new marriage, a new part of her life. I believe the reason why God's calling his people back to these things is because he's purifying a bride and getting us ready for the marriage supper. I believe that. Over the last 20 years or so, I've seen that there has really been more of an emphasis on the communion table than ever before. I've seen that, that now there's been more and more of an emphasis on water immersion. And also uh, the anointing with oil. Excuse me. I remember even recently, the last couple of years, there's been some supernatural anointing oil coming out of the Bible somewhere out in Georgia that is really powerful. But what God is saying is he's calling us back to be purified as a bride. So let me close with this about the anointing with oil as we anoint people tonight. Exodus chapter 40 now, remember I mentioned before, Moses had to anoint the priesthood with oil. But also, when Moses set up that tabernacle on Nisan 1 the following year, they had already built everything. They set up the tabernacle. Moses put it all together. He started in the Holy of Holies, and he anointed everything coming out to the outer court. He anointed everything with oil. The Bible says after he anointed the tabernacle, that the glory of God came into that tabernacle and saturated it. And God said, I will sanctify it with my presence. See, what you got to understand is, is when my wife and I anoint you with oil tonight, we understand the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now the tabernacle, those that are true Christians. And we believe God, as we anoint you, that God is going to saturate you with his glory. And that's exactly what we've heard people say has happened to them many times over. But Exodus 29, 7, take the anointing oil and anoint the priest. Mark 6, 13, think about this for a minute. Jumping to the New Testament, Mark 6, 13, Jesus was sending out his disciples to minister before him into places. Remember that? And it says that as they went out, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick with oil and healed them. So Jesus, when he was sending out his disciples to go before him and minister two by two, they were taking anointing oil with them. And they were praying over people that were being delivered from the demonic and being healed. James 5.14 says if anybody's sick among you he needs to call on the elders of the church that they might pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick the lord will raise him up if he's committed any sins he'll be forgiven therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed so there's a lot of healing so see as you consecrate people it's interesting because at the communion table, the waters of immersion, and the anointing with oil, people are deeply sanctified unto God, but also there's many healings. There's also many deliverances that take place. I find it interesting. This is a scripture I'll read to you. But Revelation 7 verse 1, this is something that's going to happen in the end times. After this, John said, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds so that no wind would blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending and rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That's an interesting scripture. I personally, it's my opinion, I believe that this seal that an angel goes through 
and seals God's remnant on their forehead, I believe it has something to do with the anointing. There's some kind of an anointing put on their head. That's just my opinion. And then Romans 1.11, it says, Paul said, I long to be with you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. In the Greek, it means to make you strong or to take you to a place of strength. So there's something in the way of an anointing that can be imparted into people that will strengthen them in God. So in other words, you, you consecrate people, but people need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into them and give them supernatural strength to be able to overcome their weaknesses and come to a place of strength in God. Places that need to be strengthened. Churches that need to be strengthened. And remember that Moses prayed for Joshua. There was a passing of the anointing there. Elijah threw his mantle to Elisha. There was a passing of the anointing. And so we anoint with oil and pray, but there's a spiritual impartation, a spiritual anointing that comes into people that will take you to a place of great strength in God to begin to overcome your weaknesses. So I love preaching along these lines. This is a subject that I'm really comfortable just talking about. I really don't even probably need these notes very much. But my wife and I, as we've ministered for, to many people in the area of deliverance, they've been so defiled. They've been through so much stuff. They've been through so much sexual immorality. They've practiced the occult. They've got mixed up with the worship of other gods. You know, they've been, you know, maybe had abortions or whatever. They've, they've filled their bodies with drugs and different things. And they've been so defiled. And my wife and I lead them in prayers to renounce those things and repent. And, and we pray for them, but... You know what? As we take them through the communion table, the power of water immersion, and anoint them and pray over them, I've had so many of them tell me, I felt so much just filth leave me. I felt so different. I felt so free. I feel light. These are descriptive terms they've given me. I feel light. I feel clean. What's happening is, is as they become a Christian now, that God is taking them as a priest and he's cleaning them up. He's purifying them so that they can worship and minister to him without being so hindered. They're not going to be defiled. They're not going to be held back anymore. So here's what I want to do. We can go ahead and shut down recordings if you want, but we're going to take communion together. And so as, as she's doing that, um, we're going to have to pass that out. How many of you guys want to take communion with us tonight? All right, we're going to do this a little different than usual. And Brian, if you.